25. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began preaching, began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And the great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean. Father, we do praise you for your word, and we thank you for the goodness of giving us um, instruction and teaching. We thank you for providing us with an understanding of how you began your ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts even now. Let your word bear fruit. Let it be useful and effective. And Lord, I would ask for help in speaking and saying all that needs to be said this morning. And I would ask that you would give us ears to hear what you would want to say. And Jesus, I pray that what I would share would be exactly what you would want me to share. And so God, let this truth as, as we watch uh, you, Jesus, come on the scene. May we see you, please. Give us eyes to see all that you have done and are still doing this very day. And so we acknowledge that our faith is in you, our trust is in you, and our hope is in you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would grant healing where there needs to be healing. Would you grant deliverance where there needs to be deliverance? Would you grant a, a freedom and forgiveness from those who are burdened for their sin? We are amazed that you can forgive us and you do forgive us and you, your word tells us if we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that your word would have a cleansing effect on our hearts. I pray that it would strengthen uh, us for the task that's before us and as we go to work and with our 
family members and in our homes and schools and everywhere we find ourselves, Lord, let the light shine that dawned on Galilee of the Gentiles. Let the light of the goodness of Jesus shine through our lives. And Jesus, I pray if there are those in this room hearing my voice who do not yet know you, that today would be a day that they begin to follow you, wholeheartedly follow you. And Lord, I pray also that you would help us who are still trying to make up our minds to be convinced that you are the Son of God, the one true living Messiah, and let our faith confidently rest in you. So grant us the ability to follow you and move us, Lord, as you moved from Nazareth to Galilee, would you move us closer to you and do all of this, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've been walking with Jesus through Matthew's gospel and following him and seeing how he begins his ministry. And last week, that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, which Matthew unfolds for us in the last half of chapter 4. The first half last week, we were with Jesus in the wilderness. We saw him fasting for 40 days and being tempted for 40 days by the enemy, by Satan, and Jesus never gave in. He obeyed every place that the people of Israel had failed before. Jesus was faithful. He did not bow to Satan. He did not worship another God. He did not give in to selfish desires. He wholeheartedly followed the Lord. And so he was victorious in the wilderness and accomplished that obedience that Israel failed to do when they were in the wilderness. And so today, we pick up in verse 12 uh, and, and following uh, what Jesus has done. And what Matthew doesn't tell us is there's this pretty significant gap of time between the ending of Jesus' temptation to the beginning of verse 12. We'll see that in just a few minutes, but it's probably about a year's period of time has gone by. And that will be helpful, I think, as we look at some of the other things that unfold in this text. But it breaks up into about three portions today. Uh, I didn't plan that. I don't know why. Sermons always just sort of divide naturally in threes. Maybe it's the Trinity. I'm not quite sure, but it just happens this way. So this last half of the chapter is like three stages to Jesus's ministry. He begins by moving from Nazareth, his hometown, up to Galilee on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum is the, the town that he moved to. Uh, that's in verses 12 to 17. And the second stage of his ministry really is when he calls some disciples. Not all of them, but he begins to call disciples. That's in 18 to 22. And then the third stage is his preaching, his teaching, and his healing. So we get a little feel for what happens in the kingdom when the kingdom of heaven has arrived on earth. Things change, and, and we see that unfolding in Jesus' life. So we'll take each of those stages. So the first portion, uh, Jesus has moved from Nazareth, his hometown, up into Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Let me just read uh, verses 12 to 17 one more time. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but as his ministry begins, he moves to Capernaum. And what Matthew wants us to see is there's a theological reason for this move. He's not going there because he can get a larger house. There's a reason for this movement, and Matthew wants you to see it because it's part of the fulfillment of God's word. And so, verses 12 to 17, when he heard that John had been arrested, hmm, okay, he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew, 
That word withdrew is used about six times in Matthew and it's always a strategic withdrawal in the face of opposition and a regrouping kind of thing. So he says he withdrew into Galilee, region of Galilee, leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, the beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, key word there. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew's purpose in telling us this is fulfillment. We have seen this again and again and again so far in the book of Matthew. If you've been following along, and some of you I know are journaling, if you've been paying attention to repeated words, you, you have seen fulfillment or some aspect of fulfillment 11 times. This is the 11th. 10 times so far in the opening of these first pages of Matthew, Jesus has fulfilled either in his birth or the circumstances surrounding his birth some aspect of messianic prophecy that had been spoken of hundreds of years before. Matthew is, is giving you evidence to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he's doing. He wants you to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Even in things that happened surrounding his birth, which Jesus did not have direct control over, fulfilled prophecy. And here we see another one. Jesus is intentionally fulfilling this one now. He's moving here for a reason in order to fulfill this prophecy that Isaiah spoke a long time ago. And so what we have, I told you there's a little bit of a gap between verse 11 and verse 12, about a year or so. And it sometimes has been called a kind of year of obscurity because it's not given a whole lot of attention in the Gospels. But it is helpful for us to know what's happened because if we go back in the Gospel of John, John fills in the gaps. So you, John wrote later towards the last half of the first century and all of the gospel authors um, do what the others don't do and John knows what the other three gospel authors have already written and so he's filling in some of the gaps and it's very helpful because after Jesus' baptism, you remember the anointing of the Holy Spirit um, revealed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so uh, John was now convinced, aha, he's the guy. And he said, one day as Jesus walked by, John and a couple of his disciples were standing there and Jesus said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two of his disciples were standing there with him. One of them was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, who went and got Peter and introduced him to Jesus. But these two disciples started following Jesus. They went after him. So Andrew and the other disciple is not named, but most scholars seem to think that it might even have been John, who's writing the gospel of John. And so they began to follow him. And now what unfolds is from there, uh, after they begin to follow him, Philip and Nathaniel joined them. So Jesus has got at least 
four groups, four friends right now, we, we know. Um, it's not all of those he will gather, but this early stage of his ministry, there's now four new friends who are, are walking with Jesus, and they are invited to a wedding in Cana, if you remember the story, where Jesus turns the water into wine. Uh, that's the first occasion of his miracle, or the occasion of his first miracle. Um, after leaving Cana, he then goes to Jerusalem for Passover, and we are told when he arrived there, he drove out the money changers who had collected into the temple precincts and were blocking a place of prayer. That's the first time that happened. He does it again at the end of his ministry as well. So John is filling in some of the blanks. He also, at, while he was in Jerusalem and what he did in clearing out the temple uh, made Nicodemus, a Pharisee, very curious. And Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, you know, can we have a chat? Uh, at night, please. I, I'm not quite sure about you, and I need to talk to you at night. And so we have this conversation with Nicodemus. Um, after Jesus then left uh, Jerusalem and went north, he spent a little time in the wilderness baptizing disciples also. Jesus wasn't, but those who were with him were. Uh, their ministry with John overlapped for a little while. And then as he heads on back home, he stops in Samaria. You remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus had a conversation with her and then uh, spent a few days with the town of Samaria preaching and teaching to them. All of this is happening and Matthew tells you nothing about it. Right? Matthew is not concerned with it, but it's going to be helpful for us in just a few minutes. But primarily, all of those things were private or not very public. The, the miracle of turning the water to wine, nobody knew about that except the servants who were carrying the water and, and those who were with Jesus. Those are the only ones who knew. Nobody else knew about that. Um, the conversation with Nicodemus, that happened at night. That's a, that's a private conversation. Um, in Samaria, all that Jesus did in Samaria, well, the Jews care nothing about what happens in Samaria. They avoid the place, right? So none of that is being known. So Jesus is sort of flying under the radar. So he's, he's moving, he's beginning to teach. But when we get here to, to verse 12, and this is where Matthew picks up the story, he takes off because John has been arrested and that seems to be the catalyst. So John has been preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now John gets arrested, so the preaching is obviously stopping. And Jesus sees that as a point of which I need to step in where John has left off. And so he begins to preach. And also we see this in verse 17. He uses the exact same words that John the Baptist used. Exact same. He is the, it's a quote for uh, Matthew 4, 17. This is what Jesus is preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look in your Bible over to chapter 3, verse 2, you'll see the exact same words. Jesus and John were preaching the same message. So from that time that's mentioned here is from the time that John has been arrested, Jesus is now beginning to preach. And so he steps onto the scene. And he, when he does, he makes a move from hometown Nazareth up about 18 miles northeast to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he goes up, he moved. How many of you love moving? You've moved house, you know what a pain it is. And, and you think Jesus doesn't know what it's like. And, and here we, Jesus moved. 
I, I, you know, it was U-Haul the donkey, probably, but more or less, he moves house and lands in a new spot, and Capernaum is now the city at which he stays. That's where he lives. It's the base of his operations for everything that he does in Galilee, and Capernaum means the town of Nahum. Caper means town. Nahum is the name Nahum. So it could be that this is the hometown of the Old Testament prophet Nahum. So Capernaum or Capernaum. Uh, it's also home base for Peter. Peter's house is here in Capernaum. And Matthew lives here. Matthew, this region near Capernaum is on the border between two of Herod's sons. When Herod died and the kingdom was divided up into to sections between three of his sons, uh, this Capernaum is right on the border and Matthew's little tax booth where he gathered taxes from all of the sales and uh, fishing and everything that happened in this region, his tax booth is here. So this is Matthew's hometown as well. But the point that Matthew brings out is this region in Galilee is based in where two of the historic tribes of Israel were located, Naphtali and Zebulun. And so geography is absolutely critical to Matthew. If you've been following along, you have noticed we've, we've, been, we've talked about Bethlehem. We've talked about Ramah. We, we've talked about Egypt. We've talked about the wilderness, right? All of these locations, geographic locations, reveal the identity of the Messiah, all of this is pointing to Old Testament passages that give us a clue as to what is happening. And so Matthew here in verses 15 and 16, if you have your Bible open with me, he quotes Isaiah chapter 9. And so you, you read it, the land of, Zaph of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way beyond the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles, 15 and 16, people who were in darkness. That's Isaiah 9. And the reason that is important is because Isaiah 9 is a pointer to who Messiah is going to be. And you, you hear this passage being read every Christmas. So it's early Christmas today. I, I want to read you. You'll, you'll recognize this, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us, what? A child is born. You, you know what we're talking about here. To us, a son is given. The government shall be on his, his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of the government of peace. There will be no end. And on the throne of David. There it is. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and hold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is a forevermore king. And, and who is that? Why do we read that every Christmas? Jesus fulfilled this. And so Matthew is saying that verse, those passages, the, the child to be born is Jesus, right? He's the one upon whose shoulders the government of God's people rests. He's the prince of peace. He's the everlasting father as he's called. He's a wonderful counselor. He arose and began to demonstrate his ministry, ministry in Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, you'll notice, first and 14 and 15, 15 and 16. So, so Matthew is fascinated that Jesus moves up into the Galilean region and from there begins his preaching ministry because that fulfills what Isaiah said would happen. So when Messiah shows up, he's going to show up in Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee is an ancient region and goes all the way back to Joshua in the conquest of the promised land. 
So there are deep roots. Galilee is mentioned in the book of Joshua. It's the first place you'll see it. You do a word search on Galilee, it'll show up first in Joshua. So Gentiles populated this region, and they were the majority people living in this particular section. And guess what? The Messiah, the king of the Jews, arises in a predominantly Gentile region. That's astonishing. The fact that the, the, south, the, the savior of the Jews starts preaching and, and, and the beginning of his ministry unfolds in a primarily Gentile region. And you'll also notice, right, Gentiles, they're the ones who walked in darkness. They don't have the history of, of Israel. They don't have the commandments. They don't have the word of God given to them through the prophets. They're the ones upon whom the light, that deep darkness is described over the Gentiles. And yet the savior of the Jews arises from this region. And Matthew is the most Gentile or Jewish uh, gospel writer that we have seen. And he never fails to mention that the Jews are included. So, I mean, the Gentiles. I was really excited that the Jews are included, right? <laughs> Gentiles. That's amazing. The Savior of the Jews also comes for Gentiles. You, you're a Gentile in this room? Anybody? You guess what? You're included. You can be. You can be included in God's providential unfolding of his Messiah. That's absolutely astonishing. So Jesus is not merely a, a national savior or a tribal savior. He is a global savior. And Matthew picks this up and he reminds you again and again and again, God's love extends to Gentile people. God's love extends to the outcasts, the foreigners, those who are estranged, the immigrants, those who are kicked out, his love extends. So that's Matthew's first point. Jesus moved. He chose to go into Galilee as a part of the fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus is accomplishing the will of God. That's what he's doing. And he again and again and again is intentionally moving his life and orchestrating his ministry in order to demonstrate he's God's chosen Messiah. So believe in him. That's the first part. Second, in verses 18 to 22, we see the second stage of Jesus's ministry comes from Jesus beginning to call his disciples. Let me just read verses 18 to 22. Follow with me. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... And uh, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. How many of you find that absolutely astonishing? Would you leave work and just start following some guy? Does that just seem completely incoherent? It's not. Because I told you earlier, they already knew Jesus. They, 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 he's, not completely un, he's not just a stranger saying, come on, hop in the car and let's go for a ride. That, that's not what's happening. Jesus is doing something different. He is saying to them, follow me. And I think that means, guys, it's time. Now is the time, and so come with me. And they are in. They leave it all. 
They, they leave the boats, they leave the nets, they leave their, their, their business, they leave their livelihood, and even dad gets left behind. And Matthew wants you to see the wholehearted nature of the following of these guys as Jesus gives a command. It's, this, this is not a suggestion. He didn't say, you know, if you don't have anything better to do, once you guys, you know, finish cleaning up your nets, just come on, follow me. In the middle of the workday, Jesus shows up. That's absolutely mind-blowing to me. And they follow him. Now, doing a little bit of homework, I discovered in Luke chapter 5, if you remember the story when Jesus shows up and the, uh, all four of them, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Peter and Andrew in one boat, James and John in another boat, have been out fishing all night long and they didn't catch a single thing. You ever, anybody can identify with that? You've been fishing and you catch nothing. Right? You've been, you've been looking for work and you find nothing. You, you, you've been pouring your heart out and there's nothing. They, they fished all night long. And then Jesus said, can I borrow your boat to do a little teaching for just a few minutes? And Jesus got in the boat. And then when he finished teaching, he said to Peter, tell you what, if you go out into the deep water and throw out your net, you'll, you'll catch some fish. And you remember what Peter said? Oh, come on, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we're just cleaning up the nets. We, we, just, we just packed it all up for the day. Okay, uh, we'll do it. If you say to do it, we'll do it. And you know what happens? They got so many fish that even both boats couldn't contain them all. And Peter's response was, go, go away from me. I am a sinful person. That might have happened that very evening before. Maybe that, that's the time. If you put together the Gospels, that might have happened the night before. And so when Jesus says, follow me, Peter's like, I'm, I'm in. I'm sold. And the question for you, each one of us today is, do you hear the voice of Jesus saying, follow me? These guys had been with him for a year. They knew a lot about Jesus they had factual information. They've seen him turn water to wine. They've listened to him teach. They've heard him do some teaching in the wilderness and some baptizing. And now Jesus says, it's time to follow me. And I, I think of some of us who, we, we just kind of, we just can't make up our minds about who Jesus is. We've, we've, we've got material. We have evidence. Right? We have evidence before us of how he lived. We, we know his teaching. We, we know what history teaches us. He's nobody like Jesus on the planet. Never lived. Anyone like him. And the question is, are you going to follow him? Are you going to keep playing spiritual games? Or you, are you in? This text forces me to say to you in a loud voice, because I want to get your attention, are you in? Are you just playing games? Or is, is he the Messiah? If he's not, don't come here. Go someplace else and do something better with your time. But if Jesus is the Messiah, give him all of your heart. All of it. Stop holding back and give him all of you. That's what they did. They were all in, completely sold out. And Jesus said, follow me. And they, they did. I hope you hear that call. Some of you have heard it. And, and we also hear the voices of the world, which says, just, you know, it's okay. Just every once in a while. You can read your Bible. It's okay. You go to church every once in a while. But just don't, don't take this stuff too seriously. 
And Jesus would say, you need to take me deadly seriously because I'm, I'm the Messiah. I am the living son of God who stepped out of eternity and into this world and into your mess to change this world and to usher in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus calls his disciples. That's the beginning. Only four, we're told here. So Jesus is gathering his disciples, but he says, follow me, and they follow. And that takes us to the third section, which is the preaching and the teaching and the healing of Jesus. We see that in verses 23 to 25. Let me just read those. We'll also see it in verse 17. So this stage of his ministry unfolds with preaching and teaching and healing. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people so that his fame spread throughout all of Syria and they brought to him all those who were sick and those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains. These were oppressed, those who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the and Jerusalem in the south and Judea even further south and then even from beyond the Jordan. He's, he's teaching. He's healing. And then verse 17, you'll see it. He's preaching. Verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, repent. So he's preaching, he's teaching, and he's healing. And, and this ministry, you could sum it up by saying it's, it's encapsulated in word and works. Jesus is speaking, but he's also doing He's proclaiming, but he's also transforming lives. The power of the kingdom of God is here. And this this preaching, you ever wonder, what is the biblical difference between preaching and teaching? You you ever wonder? I'll tell you. Preaching is the word caruso here, and it means to proclaim, to call out, to announce, and also to expect an urge, an acceptance, and a compliance with that message. So preaching proclaims a heavenly truth and then calls for a response. Teaching, on the other hand, is to instruct, to impart, to uh, pass information, and to, to give knowledge. So teaching is just communicating truth accurately and instructing. But preaching then is is the communication of truth, but it calls for a response. So it's not just, we're not just filling our heads with information. Preaching then calls us to live according, change our lives in order to comply with this message of the truth. That's the difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching calls you to respond Teaching sends you accurate information and instructs. And Jesus is doing these things. And what is he preaching and teaching? He's preaching and teaching the gospel, we are told. The gospel of the kingdom. Pop quiz. How many of you know what the gospel is? You're in an elevator and somebody says, Yeah, I saw you at church the other day. What's the gospel? Would you feel comfortable giving an answer? Some of you are nodding. That's good. I just want to give you an overview. What's the gospel? It all begins with God. The gospel starts with God because he created. He created everything there is and he created it good. God is good and he created everything good and he put man into this world and man chose to deny the goodness of God and instead to sin against him by disobeying and thus incurring the just wrath of God because of that sin which brought on this planet a curse 
a just curse for that sin, which, which is global in scope and effective in, in bringing everyone and even the very ground we walk on under a curse. We're cursed. We live in a world that is cursed and broken. You know it just by watching the news. And, and so this is true. And the, but, but God did not, the wages of sin is death. God told Adam, if you disobey me, you will die. And yet he was gracious and he did not execute the death sentence immediately, but he gave grace so that he could bring hope into the world. And he sent his son into this broken world who had no sin, and yet he entered in and died because death is the punishment for sin. So he, he accepts the just punishment of God on sin by, by submitting himself to death. And he stayed dead for three days. He was buried in a cold stone tomb. And he laid there for three days. And then on the third day, he rose up from the dead bodily, literally, accurately, and, and demonstrated it is possible to escape the death penalty through me. And then Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he is seated on the throne this very day. But before he left, he gathered his disciples and he said, I want you to go tell everybody about this. Tell everybody on the planet that there is a way for your sins to be forgiven. There is a way to escape the eternal destruction that will come to everyone who continues in sin. And that's through me. Faith in my name will get you out from under the curse and into the eternal glories of God the Father. That's the gospel. The gospel is sin broke into this world and Jesus then broke sin. And so if you want freedom from the dominion of sin, it comes by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was preaching. The kingdom of God has come into this world. It has begun to take effect. And then he preaches, he teaches, and he demonstrates that this power is real by healing. And this is incredible. If you look at the last paragraph of this, he healed every kind of disease, every kind of affliction. His fame went everywhere. Everybody who was sick or afflicted or had disease or pains. <laughs> Anybody have pain in this room? Jesus took care of it all because that's the nature of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will put right everything that's broken. And it's come in in a, in a kind of measured degree. It's not fully here. So we still have aches and pains. I woke up. My son and I ran a race yesterday. I had a sore shoulder. My legs ache. Um, I... I the body doesn't work like it used to, right? We all have pains and aches and afflictions and diseases and we want to be free from that. And I tell you what, Jesus did this and he's still doing it. I do not believe that the healings and the miracles of, of what we see in scriptures were only for the first century. I, I've seen people get healed. My, my own wife has been healed. I have seen people delivered from demons. I have seen people who are crushed under the heaviness of guilt have that lifted. 
I have seen people who have lived under lies of Satan and been enslaved to those lies to be freed in order to have a new life. The, the, the kingdom is here. And you might be wondering, why don't we see more of this? Well, there's layers to answer that question. And one of them is, we don't believe it works. We don't believe the kingdom actually does that kind of thing. So we don't ask for it. We don't expect it. And it's just, Jesus struggled with this in his own day. Did you know that? When he went to his hometown of Nazareth and he preached in the synagogue to them, he said to them, he read Isaiah 42 and he said, the anointing of the father is on me. And then he looked at everybody and he said, this day, that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they were like, man, he's a really good speaker. And then he went on and he said, uh, the Gentiles are included. I'll summarize what he said. He talked about a widow who was a Gentile who God took care of. And he talked about a Syrian who God healed, Naaman. And they got so ticked off that Gentiles are included that they tried to kill him. They, they took him out of town and were going to throw him off a cliff. And Jesus went on his way. And we are told in the Gospels, he did no mighty work there, except he healed a few people. Now, question, is Jesus' power diminished by those who don't believe in him? Is the essence of who Christ is somehow squashed because people don't believe in him? No, absolutely not. He is the king of the universe. And yet, why was no mighty work done in Nazareth? Because nobody asked for it. A couple people did. It said a few people went to him and he healed them. So why don't we see more of the, this aspect of the kingdom of God? I think part of the answer is because we just don't really believe he does anything. And so does he always do what we want him to do? Well, no. <laughs> there are some of you who have perpetual issues that we have prayed with again and again and again and again. And we're going to keep praying for them because Jesus says so. He says, you, you come to me with your burdens. You come and, and we'll pray about it. Does he completely deliver every time? No, but sometimes he does. So we, we will keep praying with you. you you've, got, you've got a spouse who is not a believer. You want a heart to be changed. We're going to keep praying. You've got a persistent physical ailment that you want freedom from. We're going to keep praying. You've got an issue in your life that needs to be transformed. I believe we're going to keep praying because sometimes God's answers in the way that we ask him and he conforms us into his image. And so one of the reasons we don't see more of it is because nobody asked and nobody believes. Another part of that answer is the curse has not yet been fully lifted. We're still in a world that is under a curse. And so there is still brokenness that we encounter. There's still pain and heartache that, that have come into our lives. And yet, when we are completely dependent upon the Lord and seeking him first, the kingdom comes in measure. So where's the kingdom of God? <laughs> it's wherever Jesus is cherished. Wherever Jesus is obeyed, there is the kingdom of God. And if you're believing him, if you're obeying Christ, then the kingdom of God has come in your life. And so we will keep praying. So crowds of people came to Jesus. So what have we seen this morning? We see Jesus beginning to, to start his ministry. And he moves with intention 
to fulfill Old Testament prophecy to demonstrate who he is. And I encourage you, let the collective fulfillment that we have seen thus far in Matthew convince you he's the guy. 11 11 specific instances where Jesus has fulfilled Old Testament prophecy and he's not even started his ministry yet. What is to come of the fulfillment of this man? Jesus is incredible. So we've seen him fulfill words. And secondly, we have seen him say, are you going to follow me? On behalf of Christ, I implore you, follow him with all of your heart. Don't Keep doubting. Seek him. Follow him. Get wholeheartedly into following Jesus because that's what he deserves because he's worthy. He's fulfilled so much of the prophecy. He's worthy to be followed. And then lastly, Jesus ministers with authority. He preaches, he teaches, and he heals. And will you respond to his preaching? Will you believe his teaching? Will you come to him for healing and forgiveness? I know some of you, I I really prayed about what I say about this last portion because there's some of you who are struggling with persistent chronic issues and when your prayers don't get answered and you continue in pain, you hear verses like this and you say, I don't want anything anything to do with that. He's not fixing my problem. I don't believe it. And I plead with you, believe that God can transform Don't stop believing. His timing is not our timing. We're all, all of our bodies are going to break down. My mother just discovered she's got stage four cancer. And she's like, I'm just ready to go meet Jesus, right? She's 84 years old. She's had lots of years, right? And yet she has hope. Right, one day, we're going to get fixed. All the ailments. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to wear glasses in heaven. Right? None of you will. Right? We're, everything's going to get fixed. Be patient until then. Don't give up. And, and we as a body will come alongside those of you who are struggling with chronic issues. And we'll just keep praying. And we will pray that the kingdom of God comes. And I believe he'll take care of whatever ails you or he'll give you the grace to endure it. Let's pray together. Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let the fullness of the power of your kingdom come so that everybody listening to my voice and beyond will put their faith in you and trust in you. And Jesus, we, we ache. Some of us, in tears even this very morning before we got here. And yet we need you, please. We are coming to you. Where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the only son of God. You are the holy son of God. You alone are the place of hope. You alone fulfilled prophecy after prophecy. You alone are the one who was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. You alone were born in the, in the city of Bethlehem where it was prophesied that Messiah would come from. You alone had a, had a man called John the Baptist to, to begin pointing and preparing people for your arrival. And Jesus, I pray, come. You are great. You are mighty. You are reigning this very day. And we pray, let your reign come in our hearts.
for the sake of the name of Jesus and for the good of your people. So Father, sustain those who are hurting in this room. Heal, restore, grant forgiveness, grant faith. Do a spiritual miracle in the hearts of your people and let us follow you, Lord Jesus. Keep us from falling away to the side, to the right, and to the left, and getting distracted by stuff. Let us keep our eyes on you, because you alone, Lord Jesus, said that you were the Son of God. You alone claimed the name I am, and Jesus, we look to you in faith. Amen.